Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 19 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, Rachel and I are going to be answering three important questions that were sent in by listeners. Um, they, I want to thank these women for taking the time to go over to our recording page. We have this little page where you can actually record your question. And that way we can actually include their voices on the podcast. If you have a question that you would like us to answer, I'm going to include the link to that page in the show notes. And if you're listening on an Apple Podcasts or other app, you can just go over to my website, which is flyingfreenow.com. Click on the podcast link in the menu bar, and that will take you to all of the podcasts. You can find this one, and uh, we will have those that link in the show notes there so that you can ask a question, and maybe we will include your question on the next podcast. You guys, we have had over 20,000 downloads since we started this podcast in January. So let me tell you, first of all, we're excited that we are not talking to nobody. <laughs> <laughs> But secondly, we're, we're really excited that, what, that the things that we're talking about are actually really meaningful to, to so many people. I get requests from people every single week asking for the option to read a transcript rather than listen to the podcast. So I, I try to write blog posts as well but, um, so that people have things to read, but people also want to read the podcast. So... The only problem is that it costs a dollar per minute to have transcriptions made. So if a podcast is 35 minutes long, it costs 35 minutes to have that turned into a transcript. And there are other costs to doing a podcast. There are hosting costs and other things. So I'm going to throw out an idea and just see what happens. But if anyone is interested in sponsoring an episode for $50, what I will do is have a transcript made of that particular episode. We can include your name in the episode, like in the show notes, or you can actually dedicate that episode to a survivor that you know, to a, um, an organization that you want to advertise about. Um, but we will include all of that in the episode and in the show notes. And whatever's left over, like let's say the episode is 35 minutes. So we pay $35 to have the transcription made. There's 15 extra dollars left over. That money I would like to give to Rachel. She is a single mom and she's working a job to support her child. And, I, and she doesn't get paid at anything for doing this. She's doing this just for the fun of it and to serve you. And I think it'd be nice to give her a little tip. Um, I don't need anything because this podcast is a feeder into, I, I get free advertising for my book, which is called, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage. I get to talk about that anytime I want to. And I also get to talk about my private flying free membership group, which opens up every four months. And um, so this is kind of, the podcast is kind of a feeder into those things, which do generate income for me. And so I would like to, you know, it'd be great to be able to tip Rachel and give her some monetary value for her, the time that she spends preparing and then actually doing the podcast with me. So $50, 
I think what I will do is you could send me an email and let me know that you're interested in doing this until I get something set up. Maybe I'll get something set up on each podcast page where you can actually like a donate button or something. But um, in the meantime, if you send me an email, my email address is pretty easy to remember. It's natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E at flyingfreenow.com. Send me an email and let me know if you're interested in sponsoring an, an episode and we will get that started. Um, I also want to thank everyone who has sent in a or done a review on Apple iTunes. There have been, uh, I think there were just 10 recently. And I said a couple of episodes ago that if we got 10 reviews in, that I would give pick one of those out of a hat and one through 10. And I would send that person a copy of my book, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, a hard copy. So we that happened. And the winner is Chris. I won't give any other information about Chris on this episode, but you know who you are. And I will be sending you an email this weekend to let you know and get your address and be sending you a copy of my book. And I would like to do this again. If you want to uh, submit a review to Apple iTunes, the instructions for how to do that are on the, in the show notes over back again on my website, flyingfreenow.com. Click on the podcast link in the menu bar and go to any episode and you will see how you can leave a, a review. And with the next 10 reviews that come in, I will pick one of them and send you a free copy of my book. Is it me making sense of your confusing marriage? The other thing I wanted to just add quick is that someone sent me an email and said, you should really talk about having people ask their lo- local library to have your book on hand. And it's easy to do. All you do is go to your library, make a request that you'd like this book, and they will go purchase it. And um, there's a special place where libraries purchase books, and my book is in that special place. So they can purchase it and then have it, and then you can check it out, and you can ha- and then other people will be able to check it out as well. So I'm throwing that idea out there. Um, okay, I think... I think that's all I had as far as housekeeping stuff. So let's get started on our first question, which I'm going to play that now. And then Rachel and I are going to answer it. I would like to um, ask you about forgiveness and how you may be handled forgiving your ex-husband how you um, went about doing that, or if you still struggle with that. Um, It's a very important topic to me, especially as a believer. You know, we are asked to forgive, and some of these things are very difficult to forgive. Thank you very much for your answer. I love this question because you can tell that she, the heart of what she's asking is, how do I do what God is can do, what he commands us to do in scripture? And so that desire, though, is so beautiful. And um, even when we, you know, we feel overwhelmed by the possibility of forgiving someone who has hurt us so deeply, uh, that this just to how um, God's Holy Spirit enable us to do something we have no idea how to do that is only possible through Spirit. So I think it is very difficult to forgive someone who spent years and years hurting you. And I think that 
to forgiveness, often there's a misperception that it's a one-time thing where actually it's a daily thing because that comes daily. And so daily, it has to be released back to God and allow, you know, allow that, the, that hurt, that um, anger, that bitterness that may arise, um, allow God to come into that and release that for with as far as the justice of it. And we know that he will, and he, he is just, a, just beyond um, our comprehension. He, he, or he saw all of it and you can trust him that he will deal with it ways that we probably don't even realize. But I, I do want to emphasize just this, this need to let go of it. It's thing that is a one and done thing. She asked about our, you know, how do you forgive your ex? And, and I, I was thinking about that, you know, what, have I forgiven my ex? How, I really, I, I think what helped me, I don't even know where I heard this, but I think what helped me was recognizing that the idea of forgiving a debt, like a monetary debt, if mm-hmm. you were to forgive a monetary debt, you would say, you no longer owe me money. Right. So, because when someone owes you something, when someone's hurt you, they owe you an apology. They owe you restitution. They owe, they owe you. So forgiving that debt would mean that you say, you don't owe me anymore. You don't, I'm going to forgive you of that debt. But it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Right. It doesn't mean that, um, that you, it doesn't mean that you cover it up or say, okay, because I forgive you now, I'm going to act as if it never happened. I think some people think that that's what it means, that you forgive someone. So then that means that you, and, and, it, and it, that it would mean that. I think it means that when it comes to reconciliation, right? Um, when we are reconciled, with, when they come to us and say that they're sorry and they truly repent and they make restitution on their own, then we can forget that, well, we don't forget, but we can move on in our relationship because there's been reconciliation. So now we move forward in our relationship. But I think what we're dealing with, with uh, emotional abuse and dealing with an ex that we've divorced, the whole reason that we've divorced them is because they have not repented. They have not turned away from their sin. They are continuing to do sinful things towards us and towards our children. And so, and they have, you know, never apologized. Maybe they've said they're sorry, but they certainly haven't meant it because their behaviors haven't changed. So in that case, and I used to, I remember used to think about this when I was married to my ex, I would think I, I forgive him, but he's never said he's sorry. It's, it's so much harder to forgive someone who's never acknowledged what they've ever done to you. Yeah. And isn't sorry for it. Because how can they be sorry if they, you know, don't even really think they did anything wrong? And that was really hard for me to try to figure out. But what I think forgiveness does not mean is it doesn't mean that we cover it up or pretend it didn't happen. Um, recently, I wrote a, fa- a public Facebook post where I outed a family member of mine from my family of origin who had done two public egregious things against me. And, you know, you could argue, I think there are Christians who would say, well, you need to forgive her. And part of forgiving her is not, you know, you took vengeance on her by outing her. 
Well, no, I didn't take vengeance on her. For number one, I if I wanted vengeance, I would have talked a lot more in detail about a lot of the things that she's done over the years. I I, I would have said horrible things about who she is as a person. I would have slandered her. I would have, you know, that's the kind of thing that is taking vengeance on someone and being cruel to them. What I did is expose something that she had done to me that was a public thing. And so I exposed it publicly with very few details. I didn't even name who this person was. Um, Most people don't even know who my family of origin is. Do some people know? Yes, they do. But there's been no, you know, no repentance on her part, no understanding or comprehension of what she did and no concern or care. And so that's why I mentioned it. So it doesn't mean that you cover sin up or that you pretend it didn't happen. It also doesn't mean that you minimize or excuse or hide the fact, hide the sin that happened against you. And it doesn't mean that you back down. So people will say to you, well, you divorced your ex. You must not have forgiven him. No, you can actually forgive your ex completely and still divorce him. And you'll have to continue to forgive your ex. I mean, Rachel, do you still deal with ongoing things that your ex does to you and your child? So my ex-husband, it's actually, you know, it's funny to talk about him today because it's been a year since the divorce was final today. So I'm thinking about that and all the things wow. that have changed in the year since then. And um, he, he has discarded me and that's been happening for a long time. And actually it's sort of a gift um, because he, he tries to minimize all contact. He's basically shutting me um, because I, you know, because of what I, I did so, and that's, that's good because I know a lot of women um, still deal with the daily, um, per- essentially persecution from their ex-husbands. However, I still, in my inner being, think about, you know, my, my life with him almost, I mean, it's every day and I still dream about it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so it's still very much part of my psyche. And so a lot of times I have to work through it because I, you know, memories come and I do have a a better perspective on it and a better perspective each day as I, as I heal along this journey. But, um, it, it is, it is a process of releasing that to God. And, and as it crystallizes in my mind, exactly what he did and how cruel it was, um, it, it, it does. It, I, it requires me to release that. And, and I do, it's a, it's a daily thing. And I think that's where it's, it's really tricky because I think, you know, we're, we think that if we've forgiven, it shouldn't bother us anymore. It, it shouldn't come up in our lives. Um, but it's just not true. And I was actually thinking about Jesus talking about the command to forgive seven times 70 you know, and that's essentially meaning an infinite number of times. And I think um, it's it's interesting because a lot of us, I think that it's easy to interpret that like they keep and you keep forgiving them and keep forgiving them. And that is, um, I think, one way to interpret it. But I also think it can also mean daily, like just the ways that we have to deal with it in our own lives, in our own minds, in our own hearts, and just keep 
going on that journey of forgiveness every day and God will be with you and God, God helps us. It's, it's really supernatural. And, um, I also, I was thinking about, um, a book by Corey Ten Boom, who is just an ultimate paragon of the beauty of forgiveness as she toured the world after she had escaped the concentration camps talking about forgiveness and those Nazi guards came up and, and asked for forgiveness, the people who had been so cruel to her. Um, and she did it and it's only by God's power. And I think that, um, that, that book is a really good way to be encouraged about what it looks like to forgive and how much God does enable us to do that. Yeah. Well, and she describes in that book, what the man coming up to her and she did feel a lot of just animosity towards him. Yeah. And I think she yeah. said something about forgiveness is like, you know, when you gong, make a gong, a bell, it kind right. of, there's some reverberations that come after that. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, uh, <laughs> it's not like forgiveness is this one time thing and you're done. It, yes. just, it takes time. And if you are being re-traumatized over and over again, then you have to go through that process with each new, each new hurt that someone does to you. Yes. Um, and again, if those are adding up over time because those people are never coming back, never trying to make restitution, that's going to be much more of a challenge than when someone comes, repents, and changes their behavior and wants to be reconciled with you. So yes. hopefully, we, hopefully that gives um, you a, at least a place to... An, at least a, a different, maybe a different way of looking at it or viewing it than the kind of common way that we think, which is, well, if you, you haven't forgiven, it's somehow your problem and you are this horrible, wicked sinner if you don't just immediately forgive your abuser and move on with your life. Yeah. <laughs> Trauma just you know, does not work like that. And I want to add something to that, Natalie, and just say explicitly, forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. And a lot of people, especially in the church, want to make conflate those two and make them the exact same thing. And they are not. You can forgive far and not allow them to hurt you anymore. Right. Um, because that's out of acting out of love for them because that is not, it's not loving to allow someone to hurt you over and over and over again. So right. That is really tricky for women in abusive relationships to get their mind around. I just want to say that explicitly. Well, and I just had a thought too. Here's how you can know that you are really struggling with forgiveness. If, If all you can think about is how you wish the other person would be destroyed, how you hate that other person, how you, you know, if all you can think about is just, I want that other person to suffer, um, then, then you, you definitely haven't forgiven them. But if you are able to let them go and, and, and be able to refocus your life on other things and dive into living your own life and moving on and you've, let, you've cut those ties, you, that's why it's so healthy for us to forgive because we then get to move on. We're free from the damage. Well, we're not free from the damage necessarily. We might have to deal with that. But we're, we're free from the hold, the stranglehold that that person and their sin has on our life. And we don't want that. So I've seen people who they're, I mean, they just hate everybody. They hate everybody in the world because they cannot let go of anything. They are obsessed with the damages that, you know, with the sins of other people. And 
that's just not a, man, that just eats you away inside. It destroys your own life. You end up with health problems. Yeah. Um, it's not a way to live. That would be an example of like true bitterness and true lack of forgiveness. But someone who's moving on with their life and trying to find joy and peace in other things and other people and in the Lord, that would be an example of what forgiveness would look like, practically and, Yeah, and wanting the, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is a lot, lot to ask, but if you, if you come to a place where you truly want the best for that other person, whether that means like God breaking into their life and, and turning, you know, allowing them to experience the consequences of what they they've inflicted on others, like that may be the best for them. But if you truly want what's best and for them to come to the truth done and how they interact with other people in their lives, that's, that's a sign of forgiveness that, that you don't want harm to them, but you, you really want God's truth in their life. That's right. Okay. Let's play the second, uh, the second question. Hi, Natalie. You have probably answered this question so many times before. I guess I want to know, how do you really get your emotions out of the marriage? Like, I am uh, now about to separate, and I'm just, as as much as I know things are toxic and not healthy and, and abusive, there is still this piece of me that's like, wow, but it's been 12 years. And how do I let go of the vision that I had of being with this person for forever? Um, And realizing that unfortunately things probably won't change. Uh, So how do you move on? How do you let go? And um, I don't know, just not feel like it's a, a failure um, and I mean, I guess you covered it a little with identity, but, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's what I want to know. Once, once I move out and once I'm living this whole separate life, how do I really, really move on? Are there healthy steps to take to really tell my heart to let go? Thank you so much. I think the key is allowing yourself to grieve and for and allowing yourself to feel the pain of realizing that they aren't who you thought they were all those good things that you um maybe projected onto them or that you thought or you wanted them to be you hoped that they would be if only you could just be the wife that they needed you to be right mm-hmm. you could help them along um they're never going to be that person because they choose not to be and they would rather continue being that person um, then and changing and, and keeping you in their life that, that their view on the relationship is this is the way it's going to be set up with power control. You're there to, to, um, be who I want you to be and to serve a certain purpose in my life. And if you stop doing that, I have no use for you. That's not a true authentic relationship. That's, that's something else completely. But you thought it was. You thought it was a true, you know, that this was a marriage that um, was God-centered or this was a marriage that um, was like the other marriages that you observed in your life. And so coming to that realization that it, it was never what you thought it was is incredibly painful. And um, it has to be dealt with, though, because if you, do, if you don't deal with it now, it, it is, it's not going to let you go. It's, it's going to come up later in your life in ways that you don't want it to. So allowing yourself the time to grieve 
and to realize that the hope that you had that you subsisted on, as I know I did for years and years and years, that it would be different and um, he would be, he would grow up, he would mature, he would be the man of God that you, that you just knew he could be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that's never, ever going to happen is, it's incredibly painful, but it's, it's truth. And if we, if we start allowing that truth um, to settle in and realizing that, that this is the way it is and, and grieving the pain of it, it'll, it'll start, those, those bonds will start l- releasing. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a long process. Yeah, this is a is. long process because you spent a long time with that person. They meant they, they're the roots of your relationship um, as it was are deeply embedded in, in your, your heart, in your soul. And they, to a certain extent, I think they always will be, but they won't be nearly as, as, as strong, I think. And maybe, I don't know, maybe someone who's been out for a really, really long time can say, no, that person, that is, that person doesn't mean anything to me now. I'm not there yet. <laughs> you know that song, now you're just somebody that I used to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember listening to that the first time and I thought, oh, I wish I could get to that place. Man, I, I actually am at that place now. But I Good. am married too, so right. um, that, you know, that's helped. But I think, I mean, you're right on. It takes a long time. I've actually read in books about divorce that it is, um, it is a loss that's, that can be more profound than losing a spouse to death. And I've, yeah. I, I've even talked to women who have both been widowed and divorced, and they have told me that that is exactly right on. That mm. the death of the, the of their spouse was as hard as it was, as horrible as it was. There was community support. There was understanding. There was validation. Mm-hmm. There was, um, you know, it was like a normal. They went through an. It, it's a normal occurrence of life. People are born and they die. It, it was. They there was closure. Whereas with their divorce, there was no support, there was no validation, there was no closure, there were layers of losses. So you didn't just lose your spouse, but you lost your reputation, you lost your home, you lost your financial stability, you lost children. You know, there's so many layers of losses when you go through divorce, especially as a woman of faith in a faith community. So um, it's just a completely, it, it is a extremely traumatic thing. And then if you were the one who initiated the divorce, there is an, a layer of complexity to that as well, because you didn't want a divorce, but it doesn't appear that way to anybody else. It mm-hmm. appears that you are the one breaking up the marriage when in fact you are the one that's simply acknowledging that the marriage has already was never really intact in the first place and was being destroyed bit by bit on the, on the inside. I think yeah. that, so going through the grief, understanding the grief process and walking, you know, understanding that and kind of leaning into the fact or making friends with the fact that you are going to have to walk through that process. And it takes that, it, it, that's not just a few days. It's not a few weeks. It's not a few months. It can actually be a few years. And, mm-hmm. um, and it looks different for everyone, but I think too, during that time though, while you are grieving and spending that time crying and processing, um, you know, if you can get a therapist, that would be helpful, but also to learn 
how to honor yourself. Learn how to be your own best advocate because you don't, you're not going to have very many other advocates other than Jesus Christ, who will be just 100% for you and in your corner and loving you and caring for you. And I hope my, I hope that you experience just exponentially his support on your behalf to the degree that you are not getting support from people, but um, you'll have him in your corner, but you know, you really do need to be in your own corner. You need to be able to look in the mirror and say, I have your back. I am on your side. I am from now on, I am going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your body because you know, I'm going to take care of your mind, your emotions, your spirituality, because at the end of the day, there's only one person that God has given you responsibility for in this life, and that is yourself. Mm-hmm. You are responsible for stewarding the body, the mind, the will, and the emotions that God gave to you and to you alone. So um, I think that's a, like, that's a profound shift in a lot of yes. minds of women of faith. Um, Because we've been taught and brainwashed with the idea that that's selfish and that we need to meet everyone else's needs, but we should not meet our own. That is a lie from Satan. And what that does is it just neutralizes your power. It neutralizes your ability to heal. It neutralizes uh, your influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. It, it, It does so much damage to not just to yourself, but to everyone around you when you cannot take care of your, when you refuse to take care of yourself and you Mm -hmm. give it some kind of a spiritual spin. And I'm Mm -hmm. not saying you do that on purpose. I I didn't do that on purpose. I did that because uh, that's how I was taught. That's the only thing I was ever taught. Mm -hmm. So Put the energy that was devoted to keeping this... (laughs) this thing together, right? Because we're putting 100% of our energy into making sure that this marriage stayed together, right? Put that, take that energy that, that you devoted to that and put it towards taking care of yourself and, and cultivating that relationship with yourself and seeing that you are inherently worthwhile and you didn't deserve what he did to you, but he did it and you're going to pick up the pieces and you're going to move on and not let him continue to do damage in your life. Yes. Um, a couple other just really practical things, then we'll move on to the next question. Um, one of the things that helped me was, was music. I, I started mm-hmm. a playlist of just survivor music to help me, you know, so many Christian or so many artists, not necessarily Christian artists, but actually it's mostly secular artists, to be honest, write about relationship breakups and write about dysfunctional relationships. And one in particular that I love is Sarah Bareilles. And I actually put together a Spotify playlist. I'll put this in the show notes of just all of her songs that have to do with bad relationships. And she just, listening to her music was really healing for me. She's an excellent, she's a a phenomenal musician, but she's also a really great writer. And um, so that, and then also um, you need support. So you're not going to get casseroles from your church friends, but... There are a lot of people out there that have gone through, they've walked this path before you and they are going to have compassion on you. They're going to know exactly where you're coming from. And so feel free to, you know, you utilize support groups online, 
locally, you might be able to find grief support groups, divorce recovery support groups that you, where you can talk to other people who have walked through this. And that will really help you uh, just have support from other people. Because we really, we need to be our own best advocates. But you know what? We are made and wired to be in community with other people. So yes. if, you're, if, you're, if you, your past interactions with people have been very dysfunctional and very, you know, do what we say or you're bad, that's, it's probably really good that you're shifting away from that kind of, those kind of relationships and shifting more towards relationships with people who have been through a lot of pain and understand that and can help support you as you walk through your own journey. So um, we're going to move on to the next question. I'm going to play that right now. My question is I've been divorced for five years, married for 23. My boys now are 26, 25, 22 and 17. And I can't seem to get past the fact that they don't hold their dad accountable and there are no consequences for him and their relationships with them for how he's treated me. And he has treated them in very disrespectful ways growing up and he verbally abused them also, but they don't seem to rem- maybe remember that. But I just hurt so bad knowing that that's okay with them, the things that their dad has done to me. They don't know all of it. They know the majority of it. And um, they just, their answer is it's all bad. And I'm sure he's manipulating and sharing things with me that are not true. Um, But I I just can't seem to get past that. And I don't want bitterness to grow my heart for my children. Thank you. The pain that this situation with your boys has caused you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I, I know that there is a lot of fear wrapped up in this, that this is never going to get better. And I just want to encourage you to allow God to come into this pain and to trust him with your boys and allow them to make, make the mistakes. And I think that's what you're doing. I don't think that this is, you're, you're trying to control them, but it, that the pain is, is so overwhelming that um, you just, it's so like, unbelievably hard to wrap your mind around it as a, as a kid. So I have a a dysfunctional mom. Okay. She's caused me a lot of pain in my life. And I think about how I relate to her and I have never stopped wanting her to love me and, and hoping, even though I'm, I'm realizing it's never going to happen, but hoping that we can have a close traditional mother daughter relationship and I think that may be where your kids are with their dad is that he's, he's always been their dad, even though he's caused them pain. Um, the way he is, is all they've ever known. So maybe they don't think that they can expect anything more, but that doesn't stop them from wanting to have a relationship with him mm-hmm. and, and from being desperate for that love from him. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, I mean, they're going to have to grapple with that as they get older and, and realize that he's probably never going to be who they want. Um, but you know, they, they probably, um, also give him a pass because that's the way he is, is all they've ever known. And so they just expect it. And then for you, the way that they've known you to interact with him and, and in your family, as they were growing up, you kept everything together. You were taking up for him. Um, perhaps you were, um, 
you know, making everything work. Right. And so when you stop making things work, it's like, they don't know how to deal with that because, um, it's, it's completely unfamiliar. So they have to come to grips with the fact that the way that they saw things growing up was not okay. And maybe they'll realize that maybe they won't, maybe, maybe it'll take a long time, but their inner landscape has been profoundly shaped by the way that they observe things. And I, I just, I'm so sorry that, that this is so painful. (laughs) I feel for you. Yeah. I mean, here's the other thing too, is you are definitely not alone. This is a very, very common experience. It's something I've heard literally probably from hundreds of people on, in forums and that, that their children, their older children, and I have experienced this as well, do not really fully comprehend everything that's really gone down. And for this, for the reasons that Rachel already so eloquently explained, I, I want to recommend a book. I'm in the middle of reading a book called Brain Talk by Dr. David Schnark. And one of the things he talks about, he talks about mind mapping and how we map the minds of other people. Humans are very good at actually picking up on microfacial expressions, tones of voices, the ways words are, you know, used, um, the, the things that people say and the things that people do to us. So, it, what is very traumatic, what causes traumatic mind mapping is when someone is on the one hand does really nice things for us and seems to be a very genuine, caring, you know, loving person who cares about us. But then on the other hand, does these underhanded things or doesn't come to our defense or does things that you can't really put your finger on what it is that's cruel, but it, it's actually, they're very cruel things. This causes traumatic mind mapping. And I want to read a quote from this book that explains how this happens to children and what the, one of the most profound, profoundly damaging things that is, this does to kids when their parents traumatically mind map them. Of all the damage created by parents who do disgusting things, and by the way, when he says disgusting things, he doesn't mean like, you know, disgusting in the, in the, in the, meaning of like, it has to be like, you know, sexual abuse or something that's obviously disgusting. It can be as disgusting as this giving you the silent treatment when you don't do what your parent wants you to do. Um, here's the one thing I find hardest to accept. If you witness your parents do enough bad things, it can weld you to them for life. Rather than running away as fast as you can, their disgusting behavior actually makes you want to run toward them instead. They can make you their prisoner. How can this be? Once again, it has to do with interpersonal neurobiology. Parents' behavior can be so disgusting, it actually warps their kids' disgust reaction. Repeated exposure to disgusting parenting impairs this reaction, making it less odious for you to be around them. Either your mind mapping collapses to the point where you don't recall your parents' disgusting behavior, or you misinterpret it to be better than it is so that you'll actually defend your parents if someone else questions their actions. That's all I'll read right now, but 
I'm just telling you, this is the tip of the iceberg of what this book has to teach on how mind mapping affects our lives. And I have light bulbs have been going off all over in my brain reading this book, Brain Talk. So um, I recommend this book. It's kind of expensive. I think it's like, I think I paid over $30 for it. It's just a paperback book, but it is extremely uh, eye-opening and helpful to me to understand why my kids also do this. My older kids do this and my even my younger kids do this to a certain degree. They will come back from their dad's house and having experienced some traumatic mind mapping and you know they'll want to talk about it. But if I bring up anything negative or if I say anything or point anything out, they will defend him. Yeah. And it's just this is the closest thing to a, a good explanation of it that I can, that I have found. Although, um, Lundy Bancroft has a book and now I'm, it's failing my memory. What it, it's about, it, I know what it's about. It's about, uh, it's about how parents, it's about alien, parental alienation or how parents, abusive parents can actually turn everything around so that it, it children can re- reject their supportive, loving, healthy parent and actually support and want to be around the parent who is abusive. But my theory, personal theory, based on what I've read and what I've experienced in my own life and what I've seen from talking to so many other women is that these older children, just like Rachel said, they want so badly to be loved by the parent that they that is abusive, that they will... Um, throw the other parent under the bus in order to gain that love and approval from the parent who's abusive. And when you, when a woman stands up and divorces her spouse, um, it, it's easy to look at that and go, well, she's must have been the problem. You know, look what she's doing. She's, you usually rise up and you're usually, you have a lot of, you have to have a lot of energy to go through the hell of divorcing an abusive person. And that energy comes from a lot of the anger and frustration and I'm done. You know, I am done. I am no longer doing this. I am no longer in denial. I will stand up against this no matter what. And of course, when you're at, when you are doing that, you are now, you are looking very strong. You're looking very powerful. You're looking like you're in control because you are, you are becoming strong and powerful and in control. You're taking control back of your life. And that can be interpreted by older children as my mom's fighting my mom. And then of course the abuser will put on a show of, Oh, she's leaving me and she's so mean to me and you know, on and on and on. And then all everything, the traumatic mind mapping that they did all through their childhood has left these gaps in their brain and they're unable to put the pieces together. Literally like physiologically unable to put the pieces together. And it probably won't be until they're much older and have some of their own life experience or have friends that have gone through similar things that they are going to look back and see things that happened in their childhood and see things for what they really were. This is actually happening to me. I had mind, I had brain gaps in my from my childhood. And as I've been mind mapping, doing, you know, re- working through traumatic mind mapping in my own life, I have been able to put together a lot of really crazy pieces that have been missing. And now I have a much more complete picture of my own past 
And it has brought tremendous healing to my own life. But look at, I'm 52 years old. It's been this long. And I'm with Rachel. I wanted to be loved. I was desperate to be loved. But um, it's not, I am saying um a lot. Um, I'm so sorry. I said, I've got to stop saying that. So I think, <laughs> anyway. Um, Natalie, I, did, I, <laughs> I, I also want to encourage this, this woman, this beautiful person, just live your truth. Let your yeah. light shine in front of your boys. Live your truth. Don't, don't um, fall prey to this idea that in order for it to be truth, they have to validate it and accept it. That's not true. You know what the truth is. Live it in front of them. And they may not like it. Um, it doesn't mean you have to talk bad about their dad, but live who you are and what you know. And um, they, they, it might make them uncomfortable, but that's that's what they need from you, I think, is just not to, not to um, cave into like this desperation for them to accept accept it because they need to see the truth and, and you can live it for them. That's right. Well, I think that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, thank you to the three women again for sending in your questions. Um, we hope that, that these answers have been helpful. And if, you, if any of the rest of you want to ask a question, I will put the link in the show notes. And until next time, fly free. <laughs>